Welcome to the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, hosted by veterinarians Dr. Lewis Kirkham and Dr. Robbie Anderton, who'll give you the inside scoop on the secret lives of your pets and have a lighthearted look at the latest animal news, health tips, and other random facts. All names of people and pets have been changed for confidentiality, so if the story sounds familiar, don't flatter yourself. Every owner is just as animal crazy as you are. So sit down, place your furry, feathered, or scaly best friend on your lap, and it's over to Lewis and Robbie. Hello and welcome. This is episode 194 of the Two Vets Talk Pets podcast, where too much talking to pets is barely enough. I'm Dr. Robbie Annan, and I'm with the, possibly the worst internet connection in the world. And I'm joined this week by uh, the man who's been traveling around the regional Victoria, enjoying this uh, this four-day morning weekend. It's Dr. Lewis Kirkham. Lewis, how are you going? Good, Robbie. Good, mate. Um, it's pro- probably why we haven't done one for a while. It's just every time we... We go to hook up your internet just is just doesn't so quite seem to the Wi-Fi out there. No, of, you must be a lot of steel beams in your house, mate. A lot of thick steel beams, several stories, multi-leveled. Uh, you know, just your house is basically a Faraday cage, I reckon. You know that um, that, we've, you know, there's nope. nothing coming in or out of that thick monolithic structure with the steel beams and the balconies and the pitched roof. And the attics upon yep. attics, basement, we, we, we the cellar. Yeah, we, we worked real hard on this on this place to try and make it. Uh, basically, we wanted a second, have it as a secondary income for us for it being a CIA bunker. So, um, <laughs> so it's great. So, what that means is that the only internet in or out is a very, very fine little copper wire. Right. So, what that means, yeah, you're very, very small, very delicate. It's actually a little bit of jeweler's wire. It's very, very oh. thin. It's a, yeah, it has a. It's been, it's been drawn out to a very, very thin amount. So that's what all the phone, internet, everything all comes <laughs> through. So, so, the, so there, there are some reasons as to why it's happening. I mean, realistically, we're hoping that the US government will come in and try and upgrade our our internet because obviously they don't know how debilitating it is for us to try and get together to try and record Australia's number one pet podcast um, with you know, just trying to do it through a thin little copper wire. But anyway, we will soldier on today. We will, mate. And speaking of soldier on, great effort at the uh, the vet ball, mate. The the uh, the mental health stress veterinary ball that we emceed was it last week or the week before? I'm getting uh, it two was, weeks ago. It, it was two weeks ago. Yes, uh, two no, weeks uh, ago now. Yes, yes, it two was weeks two weeks ago. ago. Yes, Saturday night, two weeks ago, we fronted up, didn't we? And we we ran the show, mate. Basically, it was all us. No, no one else contributed. Really, it was just basically. You know, there was a band there, and you know there was a lot of you know work with you know like uh, silent auctions and things in the background and, and a DJ and, and yes. food, but really Lots of food. Yeah, really yeah. it's us basically just ran the show, you know, it was us. Yeah. Well, and that, well, there was a reason Modest. for that. It was, there's a reason for that. It was because of our red jackets. You know, no, nobody was going to be able to hold a candle, hopefully literally to our red jackets. Cause if they had have held a candle to our red jackets, they probably would have melted away. Uh, but <laughs> definitely not, not flame retardant at those ones, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So it was a, it was a good night. Um, we, we got in there, you know, returning to the scene of the crime after uh, you know, two years since the last vet ball, when the last time we were there, it burnt down uh, the, the following day. Uh, I was actually speaking to the, 
uh, to the venue manager. And, and I said, oh, so how's everything been going since the, uh, have, you got, have you got all the fire alarms and everything? I just gone, oh, don't joke. We've all been so jumpy about you guys coming back again because after the last time, you know, she got the phone call. She didn't even, she didn't even find out. She saw on the news that it had burned yeah. down and then her phone started ringing. Yeah, this is the San Remo ballroom in Carlton. Um, but uh, they, 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 the old girls come up quite nice now, um, Lewis. They've got the new carpet there. Unfortunately, our, our leather lounge suite that we you know, like to recline on pre-show was gone now, but um, yeah, it was a good night. Well, maybe it was the the photo we got on that leather lounge with uh, maybe the light had dropped out of our pockets or, or we just, just burnt it up, and mate, and that's where it, that's where it started, the photo of the two fiery young gents on the on the couch, I reckon. Too hot. Um, yeah. So, so, so what was the uh, – let's, let's remind the listeners of what the uh, – you know, set up by um, by Sinead Greer, uh, who's uh, single-handedly got it got yeah. it off the off the ground, which is a monumental effort, um, raising money for Flynn's Walk, uh, a, a, a charity trying to raise uh, awareness of the, you know, the issues around mental health and suicide in the veterinary industry. Um, um, and yeah, do you want to tell the uh, listeners just how much uh, coin Sinead managed to uh, manage to raise? I think it was close to thirty-five thousand dollars, mate, which is incredible amount oh. from Sinead herself, a vet nurse herself, um, still working in the industry. Amazing job, just on her own to to just, or she had some helpers, but uh, primarily off her own bat to raise that sort of money for 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 our industry. Just incredible. Just fantastic. And I guess thank you to everyone who, who put some money in on the night, who you know, did the raffle tickets, who, who joined in the silent auction. Um, donated just, do, donated things, yes, donated their time, yes. you know, but went and bought red jackets and and then um, put those red jackets up for hire um, for people to be able to use on the on the night at the photo booth. Well, well, not not just on the night, mate. Actually, um, my red jacket, I actually did hire out and uh, – you might have seen it on uh, at the grand final on one one Robbie oh, Williams. Williams. Oh, the the brown lights. No, no, oh, no, 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 no. You oh, might right. see one Robbie Williams wearing mine at the grand final. Uh, so oh, nice, thanks, Robbie. Robbie. If you could just return that, um, I think it might have just a little bit of um, bit of sweat on the collar from Delta Gooden when they were you know sort of hugging that sort of thing. Just any any chance to get mate to to return it, Robbie Robbie Williams. This, yes, you, I, I, I was uh, thinking well, as my as my kid said. At the grand final, uh, Stella was there. She said, uh, Robbie Williams, didn't he pass away recent couple of years ago? <laughs> I said, no, that would be Robin Williams. Rob- Robin Williams? Yes. 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 No, yeah, not no Robin relation. Williams. Robbie Williams got my coat from the vet ball. If you could just uh, bring that back, mate. Thank you very much. Well, I, I did notice on the uh, on the Carlton table at the Brownlow night, there was someone who actually was wearing um, a, a red jacket exactly the same as ours, which was uh, which was pretty good. It's like, well, there you go. You know, if the uh, you know that, that goes to show just the, the high quality uh, tailoring that was there in uh, that we put into our jackets. Wow! So other people shop on Wish as well. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, <laughs> actually, just I had a, a nurse come up to me that I worked a, lo- uh, a long time ago um, down at Hoppers Crossing, Christy Connish. I said I'd give her a shout out on the podcast big listener she actually loves listening to our podcast because um because it is two vets talk pets but essentially we talk about everything except pets on the whole podcast I thought, yeah well that's a fair call yeah fair yeah, call yeah. That, isn't that, isn't that evidence podcasting of, evidence of what we've done so far yes yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, five, five and a half minutes. We just have to put that in the show notes. Just go, look, if you actually want to be hearing about pets, maybe just fast forward seven and a half to seven yeah. and a half minutes in and away you go. Maybe 10. Yeah. Spot, yeah. spot on. Exactly. I had a surgery during the week. Uh, yes. Getting back to a bit of vet stuff. Um, 
a a cat that had well, we looked on the X-ray and we thought it eaten uh, some earplugs, which is not uncommon right. with cats. The sort of foamy earplugs that that they uh, you know ingest and um, mm. and tend to get stuck somewhere along the intestine. So uh, one of my one of the younger vets opened opened up the cat and uh, and it actually had three areas of really bad sort of necrosis we'd call it where right. basically got stuck in the little bit of intestine had died and then it obviously moved along another couple of centimeters then got stuck again intestine had died in three spots one spot had been oh, there's fat in the abdomen and the fat had come around and sort of sealed it off again but right sort of like we had this big piece of uh of intestine 20 centimeters that i had to take out so Gee whiz. She, she was like ah uh, lewis i think i need a little bit of help here and i said well help from me i, I haven't done many of those but anyway all right so We're we in did, here. Here we yeah, go. That's right. Exactly. So we did a 20 centimeter and end to end anastomosis for the, for the uh, uninitiated out there is basically we just cut the tube in two spots, take out a bit of intestine and then just sew the tube back up again. Yeah, Pretty yeah. easy, mate, isn't it? It's oh, just all Mickey Mouse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, trying to make sure that you get the cut it in the right spot to make sure mm. that the bit of guts actually still got blood vessel, blood yes. flow and that sort of thing. Yes. Um, and it's pretty, it's, it's actually much harder doing it in cats than what it is in dogs because their intestines are so small. Yes. Like, you know, there's, there's only a certain amount you can actually get, uh, a certain amount of sutures that you can get in there because mm. there's just not enough room around mm. there. So, um, and yeah. how's the, how'd the cat go post-operatively? Oh, fantastic. Two days later, up and about, running around. The owner says, oh, never, been, never been better. I've gone, all well, right, well, that's, that's good. Must have been those demons we let out. But no, really, really nice feeling that, you know, when you, when you get that sort of result that you know, 27 minutes of gut and, and actually one end of the gut was so just the way the gut was sort of uh, twisted around was sort of down the, the second incision was actually down into the abdomen. So we sort of right. really couldn't get full exposure of it. Yes, so we're like, yeah. this is, this is really a bit risky. And I was like, mm, but anyway, it went well and uh, good. And the, the other vet who you know, helped me out well, she was really appreciative of our uh, first one she'd done, I think. So it was good. There you go, nice around. one. Yeah. So we, we, we had an we had a, an interesting one as well. So we've we've spoken in the podcast before about how cats really enjoy linear foreign bodies. They mm. like to eat things, and then they get can get caught around their tongue, and then it anchors goes down or anchors around their tongue, leads down the esophagus into the stomach, and sometimes in the intestines, and can cause some bunching. And uh, so it was on a it was on a Monday. So it was the Robbie and Christina show in at the Waverley Animal Hospital. Um, I was in uh, elbow deep trying to take out a couple of uh, lower molars from a from a dog, because, which is just always a a, fu- a fun thing to do. Oh yeah, that's not yeah. fun. No, um, and um, and so Christine got right. I'm going to have to knock out this cat and do the do the linear forward body. Cat presented as you classically you'd expect, you know, um, sort of salivating and vomiting and um, not eating, and we could see something that was caught under the tongue, and so wow. we thought, okay, right, well, we're we're on here. We better jump in and start start getting this sorted out. So Christina said, right, I'm going to jump in and get started. You finish doing your silly teeth thing, and then jump in and help out as well. Um, and so when we got the cat knocked out, Christina said. Can you come and have a look at this for a second? So, okay, right. So we we quickly thrown my dental gloves off and put some other gloves on and came over and not in surgery. We've only just only just anesthetized the cat. And I had a look, and the thing that was caught around the caught around the tongue when the cat was knocked out, we could get a better look at it. I thought, That's really thin. Like it doesn't, because initially we thought it was fishing line. Yes. We thought that this is really really thin. This is too thin for fishing line. And I look, I said, that's human hair. That's oh wow. Human hair. So I said, um. I'm going to give this a little bit of a tug and see what happens, you yeah. know? And so, so just gently started playing and it was coming very, very easily. And oh, then out, had, it, had it eaten, 
had eaten your toupee, had it, mate? Had it? Had it oh, had it, it was had eaten your toupee from the ball. Absolutely, yeah. And and oh my goodness, it was still in such good shape. Now you know when you're um. You may not have found this for a while, Lewis, but other people <laughs> with longer hair, right? Sometimes you get a, a plug of hair that that sort of uh, messes, uh, clogs up your your shower plug. Wow! And you, what? And you, what? Huh? A, a plug of hair? What? In a the, plug the, of hair? Who's got yes. hair to? Who's got plugs of hair to be throwing down the shower? What? Oh well, you know, if you're getting hair plugs, they certainly don't want really to get done with those to be going down the shower. They're too expensive. No. Um, no. But uh, but yeah, so so this clump of hair that um, that you usually will pull out from your from your plug in your shower, Kitty thought that might be a good idea oh, to try and get that a bit Lord. of a swallow. And uh, yeah, so just pulled out a nice plug of human hair out of the Ooh. cat's esophagus. So I got. All Ooh. right. Well, that's your well, that's your X lap done, Christina. I'm going to jump back in and keep trying to pull out these teeth. Do, 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 do. Wow. Oh, and was so was the cat owned by Jeffrey Dahmer, or was it just? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Did yeah, you the, investigate? It only looked like it was one human hair in there. Yeah, one human's right. hair. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't right. send it off for DNA or anything like that. But um, yeah, everyone was a little bit grossed out, Lewis. Yeah, from yeah. pulling out the the clump of human hair. I'm not sure why. You know, I mean, for for all the stupid things that we pull out of uh, animals and uh, things we do, pulling out a clump of human hair suddenly everyone's you know toes started curling up. Really? A bit, so yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, we don't like human stuff. So humans are disgusting compared to animals, I reckon. Oh, gross, gross yeah. as definitely, yeah. definitely. Anyway, and I, another case this week had a cat. Uh, I saw the owner. It must have been 12 months ago for their previous vaccination. They made a comment. Oh, the, the cats. I've got two cats in the house. One cat keeps pooing outside the litter tray. Right. I said, oh, that's does he ever do we? Oh, yeah, he does he'll do we in the, the litter tray, but uh, but seems to poo a fair bit of the time external litter tray. So, of course, you know, I put my behaviourist hat on. I gave her a whole lot of suggestions. I said, sometimes, you know, we don't like the toilet we've got. We don't like the location. You need to increase the number of litter trays. You need to clean it more often, blah, blah, Try and work out when it's occurring. Maybe do a little bit of a diary, blah, blah, blah. 12 months later, uh, saw the owner again. Uh, said, oh, yep. Yeah, how's that going? Oh, oh. Fix that. Um, just turns out that the the male cat doesn't like doing poo in the litter tray after her, her sister his sister's gone in there. Right, he'd, so he'd rather was, hang, hang it out the side. Yeah, I thought. Well, that I'm not a big fan of that either. I mean, yeah, you know, generally you know, I won't go rush in there after Deb's gone necessarily. Well, no, actually, I don't want to put Deb in it, but no, yeah. no. Anyway, well, if you potentially been in the toilet, I wouldn't rush yes. in and. You know, I'd like a flash in between. So I did yeah. you talk about how hygiene is important. Yeah. And did and you that- did, did you talk about giving them some sort of like a, a candle or something like that or a, yeah, a little flame for the for the first cat to burn off the aroma so that then her brother feels a bit more comfortable with coming in or were you worried about singeing of whiskers? A box of matches, you know, yeah, pretty Box standard. of matches, yeah, good. Yep, yes, yeah. Yep. And uh and a little bit of the um, uh, the anti icky poo is it? No, what's it? anyway? We won't go into that. So there you go. I thought that was just an interesting, interesting one that uh, litter tray hygiene is 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 quite important, certainly for for humans, but also for cats. I tell you what, mate. I, re- I bet you at the start of that consultation, you would have been thinking, I reckon there's some sort of uh, behaviour thing going on here, possibly a little bit of anxiety between these cats. I know what I'm going to use. I'm going to recommend Zilkeen until then. You realise. Oh, hang on. No, it was just the female cat first. So, you know, th- those particular people didn't get to go home with Zilkeen. But why Why may have you sent them home with Zilkeen if it wasn't such an obvious reason there to use? What, what's good about Zilkeen? Oh, it's great, mate. Isn't it mild anxiety, low medication? And look, it was. I did say to the owner, look, look give it 12 months. Come back for your next <laughs> right. vaccination. 
And if, if things haven't improved, we'll try the Zilkin then. So, you know, it gave it a long, long lead. Yes. Uh, gave them some time to think about it. Uh, but, yeah, certainly uh, do recommend Zilkin a lot, um, particularly for owners that are not keen about medication for their pet mm. um, because it is not a medication and uh, and it's great for mild anxieties, has very safe levels. Um, you can use it quite a high dose, much higher than the label use. Um and has limited or if no side effects really um, and very, very palatable too. So um, certainly check out uh, some Zilkeen with, uh, for your, your cat or dog. And also, mate, we've got a food sponsor, haven't we? Who we, we do. So we've got Delicate Care. Once again, the good people at Delicate Care, all the Australian-made, Australian-owned uh, pet food company made in a purpose-built, Lewis, purpose-built factory out in Perth um, and then shipped not only to Australia, but all around the world, all around the world. There's export quality food that is made there by the good people at Delicate Care. They've got a lot of different range. They've got the uh, the, the wonderful uh, uh, sensitive skin and stomach diet, which is a novel protein diet. So if you've got dogs or cats that are ha- having mild gut issues and you're thinking it might be a reaction to, you know, chickens are very common uh, food reaction that we'll see in dogs and cats. Well, the good thing is there's no chicken in the delicate care, sensitive skin and stomach because it's, it's duck and kangaroo. So why not give that a shot? Um, there's a dental diet. There's some weight management. There's also mobility support. So if your dog's uh, carrying a little bit of extra weight over, uh, uh, over winter, or it's got some sore joints uh, as you're starting to lead into the warmer weather, why not go and talk to your vet about the, range of delicate care diets or check out their website uh go and uh, delicatecare.com.au and i'm sure you'll find uh, a diet that will suit your dog or cat um and also lewis a big thanks to our wonderful patreon subscribers uh guys you're excellent those of you who have gone to patreon.com search for two vets talk pets and decided to sling us a little bit of cashola for uh for helping to support the podcast really really appreciate it appreciate it guys if you'd like to check out delicate care uh, delicate care. If you want to check out delicate care, check out delicate care. Do it. If you want to check out Patreon? Go and check out Patreon. Um, and thank you also to the people that have been going and leaving us five star reviews on iTunes too. Oh my goodness, Lewis, that does help us with the algorithm. Uncle iTunes uh, enjoys that and puts our eyes in front, uh, puts our podcast in front of other eyes and other ears. So if you got nothing better to do and you want to leave us a good five star review, go for it. If you don't want to leave a five star review maybe find something else don't. to do. But five-star review, that'd be tops. Don't. Don't. Yeah. All right, this is an article uh, my dad sent me, so thank you very much, uh, Dr. Kirkham, uh, from The Weekend Australian. It's uh, oodles of issues, pandemic pooches doing it rough. Right. Uh, rough rough spelled R-O-U-G-H, or did the sub-editor get oh, R-U-F-F yeah. through there? Oh, there's some license there, of course. Ruff. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's not usually the Weekend Australian's jam there, is it? Going for the punny um, headline. They're, uh, yeah, they're, they're sort of let, letting themselves go a little bit, but that's all right. Let's, uh, bring, let's bring a bit of the little paper in, you think? I think um, more than just a little bit of the little paper in there. The COVID-inspired dog boom may have peaked, but the surge in demand for vets may be just around the corner. Breeders say there has finally been a drop-off in inquiries about new dogs after years of extraordinary demand during the pandemic. The rising cost of living, the reopening of international borders, and the end of working from home have all dented the demand that allowed breeders to sell puppies for thousands of dollars each, or even several thousands of dollars each. Now the combination of rush breedings during the boom, the consumer paunch haunt for chronically unhealthy snub-nosed breeds, 
and a generation of dogs have not been properly socialized when they were pups and who haven't experienced being left in an empty house before is expected to drive a lot of business into the hands of vets in the coming years. John Mitchell, the owner of Grudel and Labradoodle Breeder Off the Edge, says many rival breeders. Off the edge? Off the edge. edge. You like that? Wow. Okay. That's a choice. Maybe he lives near the edge, just off the edge, like it's a suburb somewhere, possibly. Yeah, right. Says many rival breeders during the dog boom did not adhere to the screening practices he uses to minimize the risks of dogs emerging with genetic conditions. His business more than doubled the number of puppies it bred during the puppy boom from about 120 a year to 240. Is that puppies? Yes, per year. Jeez. So let's, wow. let, One let, a let's, day. let's just have a look at that. So that's um so so they've gone from 220 pups. What would you say the average number of you know oodles you'd think you get in a litter? So maybe uh, six. Five. Uh, five be easy. Five easy. So divided by five. So that's 44 litters that he has had a one a, a week. A year. One per week. About yeah. one a week. Yeah. But enough demand to warrant breeding up to 500 a year. Jeez. Wow. He held back on his but not a numbers. puppy farm. It's, he's not a, he's a, he's one of these reputable breeders. We do need to be careful because yep. there might be some legalities that we're oh, crossing okay. over there. If, right. If he, no, he's just a breeder. It's just a breeder. a breeder. Yep. Yeah, he's a breeder. He held back on his breeding numbers because he didn't want to put a strain on his facilities or increase the likelihood of genetic issues in the puppies. But says other breeders were not as scrupulous. A lot of people decided to breed dogs that didn't care as to what the parentage was. They didn't do any testing or anything else, Mr. Mitchell says. Just trying to think what testing you do on an oodle puppies. Yeah, I wouldn't have said really mm. much. That's a lot of testing, yeah. though. 240 dogs a year. That's a lot of testing he's doing. That's a lot of tests you got to do. Yeah. Yes. The eyes, PRA. Yep. 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 Hearts. Maybe checking to see whether or not they've got, mm. you know, endocardiosis. Got, got hearts. Oh, no, heart. sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, yep. People who bought these dogs are now suffering the consequences of people. I think I said that. David Neck. We know David Neck. Oh, yet? Yeah. The director of Cottesloe Animal Hospital in Perth says the consumer appetite for so-called designer dogs mean the boom for vets may not be what it otherwise could have been. The oodles of groodles, cavoodles, and labradoodles that were bred over the past few years, which combine popular dog breeds with poodles to create dogs that shed less hair, don't irritate dog allergies like most other dogs, have few of the genetic complications of pure breeds due to their mixed genetics. I'm not so sure about that, but yes, okay. But he says there's also been a surge in demand in recent years for snubnose breeds such as bulldogs, pugs, boxers, and King Charles Spaniels, which he says have a much higher predisposition for genetic issues. Those snub-nosed dogs typically suffer respiratory and back problems, and the Australian Veterinary Association has long been advocating for stricter rules around their breeding. I totally agree with that. I'm not sure that if you take a poodle and you mix it with some other dog that necessarily provides the hybrid vigor that potentially you might be hoping for that is suggested there. I'm just not sure. I'm not a geneticist, but, um, but poodles crossing poodles with other dogs. I'm not, not sure about that. I guess if you've got something that has a very strong familial line of, uh, you know, if one particular breed has a high percentage of a genetic issue, well, I guess breeding it with something that's completely different, you might improve your chances of of lessening that. But 
reality is how many of those breeds have got such bad genetic diseases that you have to be testing for them all the time. Anyway, I mean, I know genetic tests are out there, but I, I, I don't, me, I'm a grumpy old man, Lewis. I don't tend to run that many in the much in the way of genetic testing because I don't think it makes any real difference to, to what we're seeing day by day. So yeah, you well, know, you're probably not breeding either. So you're not testing mum or dad necessarily for the hips, elbows and, you know, but hearts. That's not, but that's not, that's not a genetic eyes. test though either, is it? So No, it's not. Yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good point. Um, uh, these dogs are healthy train are health train wrecks and they literally suffer every day of their life. Well, that's true. Mm. Some of these dogs cannot breathe because their faces have been bred too short, Dr. Nick said. The great unknown, Dr. Nick says, is the psychology of this dog generation. The lockdown means many dogs are not properly socialized with other dogs as puppies and may never have been left on their own for long periods. I'm wondering if we will see some dog behavior problems coming out of the dogs that have had families around and which are now left at home for long periods, he says. While Dr. Neck's concerns are focused on the snub-nosed breeds, designer dog breeds still carry a risk. Perth mother Genevieve Steffel learned that when she and her husband bought a cavoodle pup for their two daughters, learned this learned that when she and her husband bought a cavoodle pup for their two daughters the girls instantly fell in love with bonnie of course they would have oh how could you not yes cute girls and puppies oh wow but a vet inspection found she had a severe overbite making it difficult for her to eat certain foods and some of her teeth were starting to punch holes into the roof of her mouth Uh aha I want your thoughts on this this comment. But yep. Steph, Miss Steffel says the breeder was deeply apologetic and refunded their money, but the right. family never considered handing Bonnie back. Now, mm. that's interesting, isn't it? Yes. I wonder if that's before or after the newspaper got involved. Yeah, yeah. Um, refund. It's always that hard thing. Of, oh, well, look, yeah, that goes... It's a, it's a really interesting thing with that, isn't it? It's like, oh, well, look, obviously, you know, we've sold you this defective pup because it was there beforehand. So here's your money back because we don't want the pup back because, you know, if, if it comes back to us, then we're going to feel, you know, maybe even more guilty than, yeah, mm. what, what are we going to do with this puppy? Um, but also that then they go, oh, well, that's fine. We've got so many other, but, you know, we've, we've made money on all the other pups in the litter, so that's fine. It, it almost then like acts as like a lost leader. But but this dog has then got all these problems then going forward. Mm. It's interesting. I mean, I wonder how severe that overbite is. If it's just mm. a little bit of a base nose and canines. Yeah. Which maybe it might be. I, I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting. How, like how many breeders would you know that would refund the full amount for yeah. base and canines, it's very just common in that breed. Anyway, it's really common in the, in the breed. Yes, mm. yeah, yeah. And so, and so what? So what we mean by base narrow is that the mm. that the mandible, the lower jaw, is uh, is is shorter and sort of narrower than what it should be. And so that the, the lower baby canines, instead of being out, and because the lower canine should actually be in front of the upper canines where they sit in the arcade. And what we often see with these dogs, because they've got that um, that that under that base narrow configuration of their teeth that those lower canines are actually coming in and either rubbing on the inside of the upper canines or they're so far in they can actually be penetrating the hard palate and so then when you when you get adult teeth coming through then that can then lead to those adult teeth then perforating through that through that hard palate and it's not just oodles that are that get it too we do see it in a in a lot of other breeds as well Mm, definitely and do you reckon those dogs 
I'm not, I'm not sure if this is something that I just noticed is often those dogs, when you see them at puppies at our 12 week or maybe 16 week vaccination or 10 week vaccination, whatever we're doing, whenever we're seeing them, they're often quite sensitive around their mouths. Do you notice mm. that? Do you think that's, and sometimes a little bit more mouthy than other do- other puppies as well, I reckon. Is that I, I something I think, or you don't know, or you don't think so. No, no, I agree. I, I think, I think the these puppies are so like as a as a as a general rule, as a general generalization of these pups, they just seem like they are just on edge mm. all the time, you mm. know, and they just they just can't sit still. And some mm. of them, some of them can't sit still and then they're really happy, and some of them can't sit still, but they're really unhappy. And so they can either be jumping up on you and trying to lick, 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 or they're jumping around trying to mouth, 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 mouth. It's just mm. like they're, they're they're constantly on, they're constantly wired, these little dogs. And and I don't think that's that's often something that then you don't see them grow out of. You know, they go, oh, it's just a puppy thing that they'll grow mm. out of. I don't know. I don't necessarily see them grow out of it. Uh, so um, I had a, a new client come in during the week um, with a, a new little puppy. And so it was a, um, yeah, a, a replacement, um, a little cavoodle because they'd had a, a, a tragic thing um, previously with their little cavoodle that um, after nine months, their, their original cavoodle started to develop um, gastrointestinal problems. So it got um, hemorrhagic diarrhea, um, which again, I, I always warn my oodle, owners i go look we do see a, a, a large number of these little dogs that seem to have really severe dietary intolerances um and that they present with these hemorrhagic gastroenteritis you know at, at, sometimes at a young age um and the thing that i always make sure i tell my owners with that is make sure you get them used to eating something other than chicken because it's often the chicken that will cause it and then if your dog does have problems, we need your dog to be eating stuff other than the food that it wants to eat. That's going to make it sick. Mm. So, um, so I think there's a, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, I oh, know it's always bad. You never want to talk to a vet about what's wrong with different breeds because you know, we're the wor- yeah, we always think of the worst, but um, I, I think there are, I think there are some, some, some issues. And, and so, yeah, it's interesting what you, what you said there when the, with the breeder, yeah, offering a full refund. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not sure if that's a little bit of a, a just something that's got in the article or whether that truly was. Uh, Miss Steffel goes on to say, by that stage, there was no way we we're ever going to give her up. Of course, of course Bonnie, 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 too Bonnie. cute, sweet yeah. Bonnie. Bonnie has since had her teeth removed and is managing on an adapted diet. Right, which is probably just going to be normal dog food, you know, because yeah. you don't need well, your canines. Well, soft food until the healing is until it's done, healed, and then away or, you or, go. Yeah, yeah. And then then. So I'm not sure how long we're on the adapted diet, but interesting. Yeah, interesting to read read that. But I I'd be interested to know if uh, if um uh, who was it uh, off the edge breeders were the ones that gave the um refunded the money or not? Interesting. Mm, Are they mm. connected? Anyway, it doesn't say it is. So it certainly wouldn't think they would be. Yep. Yep. Mm. So right. there you go. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. And it, it is um, like, because they really were the um, uh, one thing I find interesting in that article was that, um, you know, even though um, David Neck, is he still the ABA president this no, year? Or is it, no, 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 he's, he's, he's done he's now. Gone. Yeah. He's gone. Um, yep. That 
even though they approached him to talk to him about oodles, he still managed to shoehorn in about, <laughs> about the brachycephalics. Mm. It's like, yeah, look, we didn't actually come to talk to you about those dogs, but okay, right. Well, we'll still write that in the article, but mm. it was an oodle article, but he still managed to shoehorn in about, about a di- completely different, you know, he's, type he's of done dogs. well. He's done well. It's, I mean, it's unlike vets to really get off topic and start talking about something totally irrelevant to what of we started talking not. about. No, no, we're we usually never, very direct. We would never do that, Robbie. That's not something. Not at all. Not at all. We, we are we're laser focused, Lewis. We are at maintaining our direction of what we're going to talk about. Exactly. Now, this is out of Deakin University. Uh, dog we to rescue to the rescue of threatened hooded hooded plovers. The hooded plovers. The from hooded around- plovers. My goodness. Did I tell you about when we got yelled out about the hooded plovers at um, out at Inverloch? Are we talking about how we get distracted on topics that aren't related to what? This is directly we, related to the hooded plover. But it's you tell me about veterinary. the dog week. Yeah, well, tell me about that and see if you can link in your story yeah. about the hooded plovers when you walked in over the nests and crushed them all. Is that it? Oh, Dev, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to. I'll be able to when, shoehorn this in. Bring it on. Bring it on. And many, this is going to be seamless. Many dread the smell of dog wee. Absolutely. I, I do when I find a puddle in the in the front room and then really? I realize that the tiny dog called Sage has uh has there. But that's that's getting off topic, Lewis. Just stick to your article. Is that the smell or just the sight? Oh well, you know, once I get close enough to it to try and clean it up, then it's the smell. It's only a little bit, really nice and dilute at that age. Just a little the, the, tickle, tickle. Not, not anymore, mate. She's not seven months she's seven oh. months old of dobby dobby headed fury. All right. Uh including many dread the smell of dog wheat, including Australian predators like foxes. Right. Deakin University ecologists are testing the utility of dog urine to protect the nests of a vulnerable shorebird. Weighing about 100 grams, the small but mighty hooded plover remains an icon of Australian beach, Australia's beaches. For over 30 years, researchers from Deakin Centre for Integrative integrative ecology within the school of life and environmental sciences. Whew, that's a big business card. Yeah. In collaboration with BirdLife Australia, well, it's getting bigger, have been working to halt their decline. The species play a critical role in our sandy shore food webs, helping it to function as the ecosystem, which provides many benefits. For example, keeping beaches clean of excess plastic. Oh, mm-hmm. oh no, sorry. Sorry. Seaweed. Seaweed. seaweed sorry, right. Seaweed, of course, with nesting approaching, Season approaching from August to March, the hooded plover also contends with beach ac- peak beach activity in Australia's eastern states. Wildlife and Conservation Biology Associate Professor Mike Weston said, historically, research has investigated basic ecology threats and what conservation measures may help the species. Over the past couple of decades, it's become clear through our work that invasive predators such as foxes cause significant trouble for breeding birds. The shorebird lays its eggs directly on the beach, meaning flightless chicks are in danger of being trampled or eaten by native predators. Wayward dogs and other beach users, especially in the Inverloch region. Yep. You want to come in at all, mate? You, uh... you, you keep going, mate. Yeah, so no, the, the, no, the, 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 the seams are all there. Pause. Yep. Not yet. Not yet. No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm, just, I'm, wait, I'm biding my time. Biding my Mention time. Mention of Inverloch wasn't just, no, nothing at all to do with it. I haven't got a story about that at all. No, good, good. Right, I'll move on. There's been a notable decline in hooded plover populations numbers since the 1980s. Since Robbie's been holidaying at Inverloch. In, in, Inverloch, yes. Pause. Yep. Pause. No, and okay. Then, and then continue. 
and they've officially been listed as a nationally threatened species, says Associate Professor. In a long-standing partnership with BirdLife Australia, the nation's peak bird watching society, Deacon Honours student Finn Soren is also doing his part to protect the hooded plover. His research is uncovering new ways to repel foxes from their nests using the scent of dog urine and commercially available acoustic deterrents, which trigger when a predator is nearby. Like drums? Uh, mate, acoustic, maybe? Acoustic, yeah. Like Star Wars? Yeah. Yes. The fox is coming. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I'm thinking. I haven't heard about that in Inverloch, but but continue on. Continue on with your are article. There, are there foxes in Inverloch? Oh, no doubt. No, no doubt. doubt. Okay. Yes. Anyway. Big fluffy ones. Any acoustic deterrence there? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When, when my kids are running around there, they act as a great acoustic deterrent. And so do I, to be honest. So you've been to Inverloch? Allegedly. Allegedly. Any stories at all? Not, not just yet, mate. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't to derail the train. Don't bury the lead. Right. Yeah. Is uh, the project's being trialled on mock shorebird nests in right. the Inverloch region before Good. moving on to real nests of hooded plovers. Right. Okay. Mr. Soreen hopes this almost intractable problem can be reduced so foxes no longer suppress the reproductive success of the shorebird as much as they currently do. My project is based on the idea that a dog represents predators of foxes and that foxes avoid areas where dogs might be active. By manipulating dog scent in the form of urine, we might be able to repel foxes from sensitive areas such as nesting sites. Associate Professor Weston said this project in tandem with an army of citizen scientists oh. in the Inverloch region. Yes. Yep. Yep. They, 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 are some, they are dedicated down there at the Inverloch region, but continue on. Yeah, not, not on your business card. You're not a citizen scientist. Not yet, In the no. Inverloch region. No, no. Could play a role in reducing the decline of hooded plovers. Coordinated by BirdLife Australia, our citizen scientists are also deploying a range of managements to protect these shorebirds, including symbolic fencing. Symbolic Sim fencing. Symbolic fencing, yes. Is I, that similar I, to tokenism? I think so, yeah. And I, I think they've actually got a section for symbolic fencing at Bunnings at the moment. So right. yeah, yeah, maybe maybe for our um our um Home Depot our, our American uh, oh, listeners, yes. I might find it yes. at Home Depot over there in the states. Yeah, yeah. Do, do, can symbolic foxes, fencing. Can foxes read symbolic fencing? Um, I I, I think symbols? they can. When, when it's when it's uh combined with acoustic deterrence, yes, absolutely. Yes. Right, and citizen scientists are in Citizen charge. scientists, when the citizen scientists are also act as the acoustic deterrence around the symbolic fencing. Oh, mate, it's like Fort Knox. A fox ain't going to come anywhere near it. They head in the opposite direction. <laughs> Symbolic fencing, shelters for chicks, and signage. All signage. Things, all things that foxes hate. Well, so what's the difference between a symbolic fence and a sign? This is interesting. You know what, she was. Hey, a... Siri. <laughs> <laughs> what works better to deter foxes, symbolic fences or signage? Uh, she, she doesn't know. She found this asleep. on the web. Oh, yeah, okay, right. Annoying, isn't it? Anyway, um, that'll be interesting to know. We should get on to Prof and see what's the difference. Anyway, if successful, these dedicated souls will have another tool to tackle the most difficult problem, the introduced red fox and its damaging effects. Even the slightest advantage will help breeding hooded plovers who don't need every problem solved for them. They just need and deserve a fair chance at raising their families. Oh, that's all we that's all any of us want, Lewis. That's right, as does Robbie. On a holiday with his family down at Inverloch, 
where something happened that we haven't got time for today. Haven't got time for today, but we're no. going to cover that another day, Lewis. <laughs> yes. Okay. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All righty. Now, how, how are we going for time? I don't know. How long have we been going for? I don't actually know. I forgot <laughs> to write it down. I think, I think it's probably going to be about 35, 40 minutes, something like that. Um, anyway, anyway just, seamless, seamless podcast. We, what's the corgi thing? What do you got there, mate? All right. So this is from ABC News. Um, ABC Capricornia. So this is going to be uh, up in the far north Queensland. So I'm looking at a picture of some cows with big humps on their back, Lewis. Brahmin. Um, Brahmin. Corgi lovers say the Queen's favourite breed retains its Welsh working dog instincts, even in country Australia. What? what? Yeah. No, they're not rounding up Brahman. No. As, as you drive into Becky, this is from a, a, a wonderful article by, uh, by Michelle Gately. Um, uh, as you drive into Becky Wilson's property, a few kilometres of dirt road behind you, you can just picture it, you know, just, just close your eyes and picture that. Mm, few red, kilometers red of dirt. dirt road behind you, six fluffy tails can be seen wiggling behind the fence. So the good news is they've got tails. You know, they haven't had their tails, <laughs> Doc. So that's so that's that's positive. Is it is um, it a symbolic fence? A symbolic fence, yes, yeah. Yes. It's it's just right next to the signage saying watch <laughs> out for the corgis. For the plovers. Uh, as the gates open, the corgis that race towards you seem a little out of place in the bush where kelpies or kettle dogs dominate. Thanks to Queen Elizabeth II, the corgi has become synonymous with royalty, but they are no lap dog. When I do shows, we're in the working dog group. We're the shortest legged dog amongst the border collies and the kettle dogs and the German shepherds. So people are quite surprised, Miss Wilson said. They're not your typical Australian working dog, but they're such a resilient, happy little dog. I wow. think once you've been around them and find out their intelligence, you understand you understand why they're in that group. So it's great that the working dog judges aren't uh, they're they they're not legist. They're not going to uh, they're not going to eliminate corgis from joining in the working dogs just because they're short legs. It's their intelligence that shines through, Lewis. So Miss Wilson has been breeding and showing corgis for six years after what she describes as a lifelong love for them. She admits her corgis aren't full-time working dogs on her central Queensland property about an hour west of Rockhampton, but that's down to the size and the temperament of the adult Brahmin cattle they breed <laughs> more than enthusiasm of the pups. Our goal is to try and have the corgis not help the farm's working dogs quite as much as they would like to. So the corgis just want ah. to get involved, but they say, no, 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 you just, you will find some animals for you. And that'll come up later on in the article. Uh, Pembroke corgis get their name from the Welsh, from their Welsh county of origin, where they were used as all-purpose farm dogs. Karen McGregor, who has bred corgis for more than 20 years, said Welsh farmers would often walk their livestock to market along country lanes herded by corgis. The best way of putting the finishing touches on your stock when you go into the market is to graze the roadside. Yes. Yeah, understandable. Yep. Yeah, sure. Probably no problems. Yes, yes. In the Pembroke, uh, it's uh, it's a fault that they get livestock to move quickly. They're supposed to move them in a slow, steady, orderly fashion so they don't run any of their condition off. So get a dog with shorter legs. So, you know, so that means that the cows oh. are going to walk twice as slowly because <laughs> the dogs have Can't got legs up. that are twice as short. I can see the logic. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Wow. 
The court, like you and me on Flynn's walk, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Flynn's shuffle. Yeah. Yeah. I walk half as much as you because I'm shorter. With shorter legs. Yes. Yeah. The corgis are called cluster herders because they are quite focused on keeping everything together. It's a trait that crosses from livestock to their humans as well. If you've got people spread all over the house and in different rooms, you'll find that the, that the corgis will just spend their time traveling from one room to another, checking that everybody's okay. Wow. Is that nothing at all to do with separation anxiety? It's just they're wanting to check and make sure that everyone's okay. Well, that would mean that the Queen's corgis, the late Queen's corgis were, were very fit. I mean, if they're walking around Buckingham Palace checking on every room, every single person every in person, every room, every room, yeah, they're some they're the fittest corgis in uh in the whole of the UK. But, Wales, but it, take, it takes them twice along, twice as long to get around yes. Buckingham Palace, yes, too, and though. They like order, they oh, like so much ordered. order, yes, yes. yes. Uh, like Miss Wilson, Miss McGregor uses Kelpies to work stock on her property near Oberon in central New South Wales. However, corgis have a special role alongside their more robust working breeds. If you've got piglets or poultry or young lambs, you don't want to put a Kelpie in with them to get them too agitated. So the Pembroke corgis just quietly and gently move amongst them, Miss McGregor said. So there you go. So the corgis aren't for the Brahmin, the corgis are for the piglets the poultry and the young lambs. Wow. And and that's, they're all bred north of the line of Capricorn. Absolutely. Capricornia. Yes. So it's a quite a warm part of the world. Yes. I thought it's a big, is that a big piglet and lamb area? I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure up north. There's not a lot of, a lot of Brahmin, a lot and, of Brahmin, a lot of and Brahmin. I think, I think there's a big difference there that they're, they're bred in Wales, Welsh Pembroke corgis. It's quite cold. I've been to Wales. Quite cold there. Yes. Quite cold. They're thick coats that they have. Does that really go well in the up the north of the line of Capricorn? Up up in the you know wherever that is. North it's it's Queensland. North it's Territory. fair to say. It's fair to say that there are some climatic differences yeah. between Pembroke in Wales and Capricornia in <laughs> Queensland. But wow. that's fine. I mean, these corgis may have adapted. They may have adapted. They might have been, you know, that maybe maybe through crossbreeding with other local corgis up there, Lewis, that they've been able to eliminate any of those genetic predispositions to the requirement of colder weather that they've come to come to get maybe, used to. Maybe they Pembroke. get shaved. Maybe they get shaved. Well, right. Are the Queen's corgis, are they the late Queen's corgis? Are they do you know where they're going, mate? Any ideas at all? Are they maybe going to north of Capricorn? Oh, well, yeah, they, they might be. They, I think they might. Um, I think they. I think they're doing a travelling tour at the moment, Lewis. Yeah, right. everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, hashtag put your corgis out for the queen. Well, they might. They might need a groom if they um if they're going to north like the other ones need a shave and a groom because just a bit of a shave, shave down. You think? Yeah, down, yeah. It's a Capricorn bit of grooming done. Just just sh- shave, shaving them. Do you do you shave above or below their line of Capricorn? Just trying to when we're trying to shave those shave those corgis off. Um, all right, very nice. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to find where this disclaimer is. All right, all advice on this show is generally nature, so please consult your veterinarian before following advice for your pet. Do our best to best provide the most up to date information as veterinary medicine is continually advancing and changing. Let us know if we missed anything or if you need any clarifications. Um, what do you got, mate? Do you want to talk a little bit about? Corns and greyhounds. Corns and greyhounds. I can talk about corns and greyhounds if you like. So, mm. um, a uh, an, an interesting thing that we're finding now that uh, so many people are getting retired greyhounds as pets, 
is um you know some of the some of the different funny things that retired greyhounds get as particularly as they get older that you don't tend to see in other other dogs let alone even other sighthounds and one of those is corns corns in the in the in the foot pads of greyhounds right. now um way back in the way back machine lewis back when we graduated over 20 years ago there were many different fancy and wonderful ways of trying to treat these uh treat oh, these yeah. things oh, but yeah. No one ever had a really good way of trying to do it. Um, but they're so common. And so they're common in racing greyhounds. They're common in, the, uh, in, your, um, in your, your, your pet greyhounds. The question, though, is, is why they happen and why they predominantly happen in greyhounds and not in, um, you know, you, you might occasionally see them in Afghans and whippets and things like that, but really not to the numbers that you see in greyhounds. Um, the classic signs of greyhounds that have got corns is they're lame. They're sore. It's kind of like they're walking around with a stone in their shoe. So they can walk, they can run, but it's just they always seem a little bit sore with doing it. And so what you do, um, quite easy to diagnose, you've just got to look at their pads. So, yeah. so sorry. Yeah, you wanna... well, do you want to hear my story about the greyhounds? Tell in, me. In, in, down in Inverloch. Inverloch, um, please. Yeah, yeah. In, Inverloch. Running around with a hooded plovers. Yeah, well, had, yeah, that was, the, that was the greyhound's name, hooded That was plover. its racing name, the hooded yeah, plover. The hooded plover was the racing name. The hooded uh, plover. I happen to do it. The hooded, the hooded plumber, plumber, I think, is that. I think the hooded plumber is a, a, a different person that you can contact down there in Inverloch. I think is it down in Inverloch. There's a hooded plumber, is there? <laughs> oh, that could be it. That's a, anyway. We uh, so anyway, yeah. No, I uh, at a racetrack. I was working. It wasn't Inverloch. Could have been Inverloch, no. but it wasn't. I did a little bit of done a little bit of greyhound stuff. I had a horrible experience with a very, very, very well-known footballer, celebrity right. footballer. Um, that yeah, I'm not sure they still do, but he bred quite a few greyhounds, and his greyhound. I think through. I think he still does. And he's go there. They them there. Yep. He's. His her greyhound came through, and uh, I said, "Oh, it looks like it's lame on that foot." Uh, and we lift up the foot. Yep, there was a corn there, and so I said, "Look, uh, you know, uh, we're going to have to uh, uh, scratch you know, the dog, scratch the dog out of that, and scratch the dog, all fine." And then I proceed to see him walk out to the car park and lift the dog's leg and squeeze the corn right of the dog until the dog screamed like anything. Um, and it, that was a horrible way of dealing with them in those days, just trying to squeeze them out. And the poor mm. dog yeah. it didn't go so well. Not not a nice thing to see. But anyway, no. so, that was not in Inverloch and it was and the hooded plovers. No. So um, so there's a, a it's a really interesting thing. Like so people are trying to be re, trying to do research here. They're looking for um for viral particles and all sorts of things, trying to work out why it is that they that they come up on greyhounds. The the current running theory is that it's got something, yeah, that it's a abnormal wear through the actual pad because of an old injury or something like that. Um, and it can sometimes happen if you get a foreign body in the pad. So if you get a bit of sand or glass or something like that um, up into the actual foot. So um, basically you've got a, these greyhounds, they come in, they're lame. You, have, you lift their foot up and you see like a little circular thing on the bottom of their pad and you push on it and the dog does not oh, thank you for it because they I are it. sore, sore, sore. Yes. Yes. Um, and so back in the black and white days, you would, you could try to 
cut them out. You could mm. try and 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 debride them out, squeeze them out. I, I read reports of people uh, using lasers and cordery and all sorts La- of things. Try- uh, laser a, a, a laser beam in, in there trying to cut commas. them out. Yep. Um, and the as always, when there's half a dozen half a dozen different ways of doing things, it's because no one's actually got a surefire way of it working. Because often these corns would come back, and or, abs- or none of it works, or all of them work. Yeah, but correct. In this case, none of them worked. In this case, none of them worked. Um, yeah. And so um, I had a, a greyhound come in um, a, a few months ago, great client, and and the dog had a couple of corns on its toes. And so I thought, oh man, you know, I even went back through all my old notes and I found all these old things of where all these, you know, corn therapies were just terrible and horrible and they never worked. Um, and then I came across only just recently over the last few years, there's a, a vet who has um, found a new surgical technique to, in order to try and help to treat these. And it's called a superficial digital tendon uh, or uh, tendonotomy. So, wow. <laughs> That sounds special. Very special. So basically what happens when dogs are walking around on their toes, and we've spoken about this on our nail trimming episodes, the dogs walk around because they've got their their flexor tendons that run down onto their toes, they walk around on the tips of their toes. And so what that means is they're actually putting a lot of pressure through their pads. That's the reason why they got the pads there in order to try and protect the toes. But what they've found is that if you go and do this surgery where basically you cut a section of the superficial superficial digital flexor tendon from up in the back of the wrist, instead of that dog walking around on the tips of its toes, that toe that you've done the surgery on, so the one that's got the corn, then flattens off. So when it flattens off, that then takes the pain away. So these dogs suddenly are then not painful anymore mm-hmm. when they're walking around. But because then it's taking the pressure out of that um, out of that toe, the corn just grows out. Yeah, so the right. corn grows out and it goes away. So, Fantastic. So all of a sudden, there's this new whiz-bang um, procedure, and it is it is. It's an easy procedure. It's a fast procedure. Like it, it literally takes five minutes to do. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly the corn, the corn's done. You've still got to take an x-ray though. And our digital x-rays work really uh, for our dental x-rays. Yes. So you just slam your little plate in there. And so just to check and make sure there's definitely no glass in there. And uh, yeah, suddenly the dogs. So yes, the dog's walking around with a flat foot, but that is now the treatment of choice for racing greyhounds, uh, you know, backyard greyhounds. It's just, it's just brilliant. So there you go. Corns in greyhounds. Finally, we've now got something to do. These dogs, they walk around. Yeah. I mean, they have a bandage on their foot for a few days afterwards, but then they're back to doing their crazy zoomies within two weeks. And so everything's all fine. So fantastic. So you've done one of those done. one. I have done, I've done, uh, I've done it on five dogs. Yeah, right. One, one dog I um, – most of them I've only done one foot. One dog I did two. Another dog I had to do it on three feet at once, which you yeah, can right. do. So you just do it on all four. Yeah, okay. Like, I mean, you can do it on all four feet, and the dogs yeah. just walk around. and That's they're incredible. Yeah, so it's 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 insane, and the, the the corn grows out, but it's no longer painful. It's um, it's a stunning little procedure. So fantastic, yeah. I've, yeah. I haven't done. I've certainly heard of it, but yeah, we we don't we get a few greyhounds, but not a lot in our area. Yeah. Um, we do have a clinic nearby that um, that they they do a lot of the greyhound gap stuff and and yes. the, the sexings and all those sorts of things. So, but we do see occasional. But yeah, no, I haven't done one. So interesting to hear. 
Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Good now, on there, you, mate. There, so, so if you've got a pet greyhound, A, good on you. Um, and B, um, if they are lame, have a look around their toes. And if you see these funny little thick and circular things around on their pad, maybe go in and have a talk to your vet about whether or not your dog might be sore because they've got a corn on their yeah, foot, and, a corn on their toe. And suitable for the Shiot's tenometry um, procedure that Robbie she, does. The Shiot's tenometry, What's yes. it called? What was it called again? Superficial digital flexor tenotomy. Look yeah. at those big words. There's a man who knows there his you stuff. Go. Fantastic. Yes. Well, if you've got any questions or you want to know what uh, what the difference is between what Robbie said and the Shiot's tonometry that I say, <laughs> send us an email to twovetstalkpets at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on the socials. We're on Instagram. We're on TikTok, I think, Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. We're on Facebook. Uh, send, us, send us an email. And if you like, if you saw us at the at – the, uh, at the the vets the stress ball, ball. yeah. Uh, send us an email saying how you enjoyed it and um and how good the night was and uh, be lovely to hear from everyone who who went to that that function. Oh, we should we should put some of the photos up from um, yes. you know, the, the the little um the little sort of uh, the little yeah, yeah. photo booth photos. That's a good idea. We'll do that because we're big on social media, aren't we? You've got a huge oh. presence there lately. <laughs> so big, so big. Which which, which which social um social media uh, platform have I joined this week, Lewis? Uh, you're on B, B Real this week, mate. B, B Real. B Real. Yes. yes. I've, I've, I've heard, I've heard the kids you. are talking about yeah. B Real, mate. I'm, I'm B, Have B, you really? I've, 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 I've been they... real for 44 years, mate. Oh, look at you go. All righty, yeah. guys. Cool. Scratch you later. Peace out, mate. Thanks for listening to Two Vets Talk Pets with Lewis and Robbie. To chat further about this week's episode or ask the guys any questions, search Two Vets Talk Pets on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or send an email to twovetstalkpets at gmail.com. You can find Lewis on Twitter with the handle at vetbehaviorist, and more importantly, as the two pet heroes return to their day job of saving animals' lives, be sure to thank them with a five-star review on iTunes. Every time you do, a small, cute animal will receive a cuddle.